Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, if you are a guest or a visitor, uh, my name is Penny, and it is good to see you this morning. I am the pastor here, and uh, if, if we haven't had the opportunity to meet, I would love to, to greet you after the service. If you have a few minutes to stick around, I'd love to welcome you and, and just express my thanks for uh, you being here. We are glad that you are with us. Well, if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2, 1 Samuel chapter 2. So uh, 1 Samuel's a book in the Old Testament, comes after the books of Judges and Ruth, it comes before uh, the Kings and Chronicles, so it's kind of in the, in the front sort of section, kind of near the middle of the Old Testament. You can also find the passage on page 225 of the Bibles in the chairs in front of you. So if you remember, if you were here last week, that uh, we were introduced to this character, Hannah. Hannah is this uh, woman who is pious. She is holy. She is a religious woman who, who serves the Lord and loves the Lord. And she comes to the temple, but she comes not in praise, and, but she comes grieving. She is sad, and she is anxious, and it's because she has no son. And so she cries out to God and asks for a son, for God to hear her prayer. And you remember, last week, God remembered. He remembered Hannah. He heard her prayer, and he gave to her a son, Samuel. And Hannah responded, right? She responded with commitment. She returned this son into the Lord's care, and, and she responded with thanksgiving, but her response continues even this morning, because this morning in second, or excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 2, we have Hannah continuing to give thanks to the Lord, but now she's doing it with song. She's still at the temple. She has just handed her child into the Lord's service and trusted Samuel into the service of the Lord, and she erupts in song. That's what she does in this chapter. That's what we're going to look at. And, and I just want to say before we read this passage and jump in that, that throughout the sermon, I'm probably going to use words like song and prayer and praise and rejoice. And I'm going to use them interchangeably. And I don't want that to throw you off here. Because what, what is occurring in 1 Samuel 2 is a prayer. We're told that in verse 1, that Hannah prayed. But, but the form that this prayer takes is that of poetry. If your Bibles are open, you can look and see how the words are indented, or at least they should be, if it's a good translation, and they should be indented there. And the reason they're indented is because we have clues from the original Hebrew that this isn't simply a prayer that was prayed, but it was a prayer that was sung. That she sings. And so let's go ahead and read of this song that Hannah sung. Verse 1. Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. 
The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this word, and we ask that you would intervene right now, that you would come and you would work for your good and for our good, that you would uh, help me as I preach your word so that the words of my mouth would give you glory, that you would help all of us so that our hearts, as we meditate upon your word, that our hearts and our minds would honor you. So we need your grace, and we ask for it. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if uh, y'all are aware of this, but this past week, um, Christopher Tolkien, the son of J.R.R. Tolkien, passed away. And with his death, it, it made me start to contemplate, to think about all the great works by Tolkien, all those great books that I've read by him. I thought about On Fairy Stories and Leaf by Niggle. Has anyone read that, Leaf by Niggle? A few of us. It's wonderful. Um, Leaf by Niggle and, and The Hobbit. And of course, I thought of The Lord of the Rings, right? His magnum opus. And as I was thinking about The Lord of the Rings, I was reflecting upon the very first time I read Lord of the Rings. And the first time I read it, I, I was entranced, right? I, I was drawn into this amazing story, this incredible world of elves and dwarves and wizards and hobbits. And, and he just drew me into this amazing, amazing story. But as I read the book, I remember that there were portions of the book that I would just skip. I would get to portions of it, and I would just be like, you know what, forget this. And I would just skip ahead a couple pages. And it wasn't the portions of the book that had the funny names, because that's like every page in the book. And it wasn't the detailed prose, it was actually the songs. It seemed like every other chapter, there was a hobbit, or there was a man, or there was Tom Bombadil erupting into song. And it just seemed like an interruption to what was really good about the story. Like, I wanted to read the story. I wanted to hear about Frodo and the, the ring. I wanted to hear about Strider. And I wanted to read about these battles that were taking place. I didn't want to hear songs, right? This isn't a musical. So I just skip over them. I just skip over them because they were interruptions. They were interruptions just getting in the way of the good stuff. And I wonder if when we are reading through the Bible as we're reading through the historical narratives, that when we come to songs, we, we maybe take that same sort of posture, right? Because there are songs throughout the historical narratives, right? We have Adam erupting into song when he sees Eve, at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And Moses, after they're led out of the Exodus, he sings a song of deliverance. And Deborah, after Israel has defeated her enemies, she sings, 
And Simeon, when he holds the baby Jesus, he erupts into praise. There's these songs throughout the biblical narrative, and I wonder if we come to them and we think, well, we can just skip ahead. We'll just fast forward, right? Like, we, we'll give glance to them because it's God's word, and so we have to at least look at it, but, but we don't really pay much attention. We just want to get to the good stuff, right? The, the next battle of Israel, the next thing that Jesus is going to do. I wonder if we look at these songs, even Hannah's song this morning, as simply interruptions to the real story. But friends, they're not. See, they're not. You see, these songs, these prayers, are actually filled with beautiful truths. The songs that are showing up in the midst of these narratives, they oftentimes function to help us see clearly the significance of the events that have just taken place. The songs often serve as a way to inculcate us with beautiful theology. The songs get into us in ways that mere prose often doesn't. That's what the theologian James K. Smith says. He says that music gets in us in ways that other forms of discourse rarely do. A song gets absorbed into our imagination in a way that mere texts rarely do. Music and song seem to stand as packed microcosms of what it means to be human. What we sing says something significant about who we are and about whose we are. I love that. What we sing says something about who we are and about whose we are. And in Hannah's song, that's what we're seeing. That's what we hear. We hear about whose she is. She is singing and rejoicing in what the Lord has done. In just verses 6 through 10 of our passage, those five verses... There are 18 different verbs, and every single one of those verbs, the subject of those verbs, is the Lord. It is God. That God is the center of Hannah's praise, and he is at the heart of her song, and he is the foundation of her prayer. That when Hannah rejoices, she rejoices in the Lord. And that's what this song is inviting us to do. This song is inviting us to rejoice in the Lord, and not just the Lord generally, but specifically to rejoice in the Lord's salvation. That's the first thing I want us to see. I know that there's not an outline in your bulletin. I'm sorry, I was battling a, 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 a sore throat all week, and so I wasn't able to get it in in time. But the first thing I want us to see is that we are to rejoice in God's salvation. That's what Hannah says in verse 1. My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. She rejoices in the salvation of God, and then she demonstrates what this salvation looks like. She demonstrates it through three different object lessons, through three different images that she gives us, images of the weak, the hungry, and the barren. We see them in verses 4 and 5. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. 
So we hear it, right? Hannah's talking about the weak, right? She's talking about the, the hungry and the barren. And what she says is that these are the ones who are giving God salvation. These are the ones who are lifted up. Now, what's interesting about this is the upside-downness of this. Because it's not the powerful who are given more power. And it's not the mighty who are given more might. In fact, what Hannah said was what? That those who have bows, the strong, their bows are broken. That, that those who have food, they are left empty. They go looking for bread. Hannah reverses it. You see, in the economy of God's kingdom, it is not the powerful and the mighty who are given more power and might, but God lifts up the poor. He lifts up the needy. He lifts up the hungry and the barren. It's like an underdog story. And we love underdog stories, don't we? I mean, good, I mean we get chills when Jimmy hits that game-winning shot in Hoosiers, and we're chanting, Rudy, Rudy, right, as he's carried out on the shoulders of his Notre Dame teammates, right? And we, we cheer when the Rebel Alliance defeats the Death Star, and we feel warm inside when Cinderella is raised up out of filth and finds her Prince Charming. We love underdog stories. We love them because there is something beautiful about those who have been ignored and about those who have been set aside and been downcast to being lifted up and finding dignity and value. And friends, that is the pattern of God's salvation. That is what God does throughout Scripture. I mean, think about it. It was Mary who was this poor, no-name girl who would give birth to the Son of God. And it was Elizabeth, this older woman who could not have children, who would give birth to John the Baptist. And David, the youngest and smallest and ignored brother, is the one who is made the great king. And even in the New Testament epistles, Paul said to the church at Corinth, not many of you were powerful or of noble birth or wise according to worldly standards, but God chose what is foolish and what is weak to shame the strong and to shame the wise. And even Hannah, this woman who had been mocked and misunderstood, she is lifted up and given a son. It's just like God to take the underdog, the forgotten, the ignored, and to lift them up. That's what he does for Hannah, and friends, that is what he does for us. Now, I recognize that most of us, we're not hungry. Or if we are, we have a, a fridge full of food when we get home to feed our hunger, right? And, and many of us, we're, we're not weak or needy, right? We have bank accounts full of money, and, and we have a church full of children. And so maybe, maybe it's easy for us to think, well, well, Hannah's not talking about us. She's not talking about our condition. But, but the truth is, is that though we may not be experiencing this physically, this is exactly what we are spiritually. You see, we are the spiritually poor and the spiritually hungry and the spiritually barren. That language of barren, it's actually an apt metaphor for our spiritual condition. Because Hannah, as a barren woman, she could not bear children. She could not do anything about it, right? There was nothing she could do to make herself get pregnant. And friends, that is us, spiritually speaking. 
There is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. You see, this is actually where the underdog motif, the illustration, it breaks down. If you take any illustration far enough, it will break down. And this is where the underdog illustration breaks down because the thing we love about the underdog is that they succeed because of their perseverance, because of their resilience, because of their ingenuity. They lift themselves up, but we can't do that spiritually. When we stand before God and we try to lift ourselves up, to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, we will fall. And that's what Romans 3 tells us, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That there is nothing that we can do to earn his favor, to have him lift us up. Look at verse 8. Hannah speaks of those who are in need. Of the poor, he raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. The ash heap was this place outside of the city where they would take their trash. And it became this mountain of garbage. And once it got too big, they would burn it. And so what Hannah is doing is giving us a picture She's giving us a picture of those who have been cast aside, who have been thrown out, who have been ignored, those for whom the world thinks little or nothing of, who can do nothing for themselves. And what does God do? He raises them up. He raises them up. And so, friends, we have to see our spiritual condition for what it is. That we are not spiritually rich or middle class. We are in poverty We are spiritually bankrupt, that we need God to intercede, that we need God to come and to lift us up because on our own, we cannot lift ourselves up. And that's what he does. That's what's so amazing about God's grace and his salvation, that he takes people like me and people like you and people like Hannah, and he gives worth and dignity, and strength. I mean, that's what that word horn in verse 1 is getting at. My horn is exalted in the Lord. That word, it's speaking of the increase of might and dignity, of strength. You see, Hannah had been left in her grief and sorrow and had been mocked by her enemy, but God didn't leave her there. He lifts her up and increases her strength. You see, friends, in the kingdom of God, it is the spiritually poor and the hungry and the barren who are made rich, who are fed, who bear children. Friends, this is why we can rejoice. Because in our spiritual poverty, God has saved us. And so we rejoice because of his salvation. But we also rejoice because of God's justice. We rejoice because of God's justice. Look at verses Verse 3, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. And then in verse 10, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Hannah is celebrating the judgment of God. Now that might sound strange to us, because in our day, we don't like to think about God as being one who judges. Right? Like that's not the God of our age. Now, the God of our age, the way that we like to think about God is God is simply this benevolent deity, right, who showers blessing upon all people. That's the kind of God that we like. He's, he's a God of love. 
And there's no question that God is a God of love. In fact, he's more than that. He is love itself. That's what we're told in 1 John. God is love. And God judges. I mean, that's what, that's what she said, right? In verse 3, by him, actions are weighed. I mean, that language of weighing, it, it means to regulate or to measure. So think of scales. So, so God is going to weigh out all of the actions of man. He is going to judge the actions of man. In Romans chapter 2, we're told that God judges the secrets of men. And so we can't just look at God as this one who unconditionally affirms everything that we do. No, we have to reckon with the fact that the Bible presents God as one who not only loves, but also who brings judgment, who brings justice. And friends, the truth is, is that we want a God who judges. In fact, we need a God who judges. We want a God who's going to bring judgment because if, when we look at the world around us and we see war and we see murder, and we see corruption and theft and gossip and wickedness and evil, we need a God who will not turn a blind eye. But we need a God who will bring justice and judgment. We want that. We need that. I mean, what kind of God would that be who, who would ignore that? As the theologian Miroslav Volf said, he said, if God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end to violence, that God would not be worthy of our worship. And he's right. But the good news is that God does judge. That God doesn't turn a blind eye to the injustices of this world but that he will one day bring all of evil to an end. Because there is a day coming when Jesus will return, and in his returning, he will bring his final judgment, and he will bring his true justice, and he will reign forever as the just judge. And evil will be no more. And death, death and suffering, they will be no more. That is the good news. That is why we can rejoice and celebrate. You see, friends, our problem isn't with a God that judges. Our problem is with a God who judges us. See, that's what we don't like. We have no problem with God judging, like, those people, right? Whoever those people are. But we do have a problem when, when God turns his judgment upon us because the truth is, is that if he's going to weigh out man's actions, that means he's going to weigh out mine. And if he's going to judge the secrets of men, that means he's going to judge my secrets and yours. And I don't know about y'all, but, but when I think about it that way, that, that doesn't sound like much to rejoice about, does it? <laughs> because I know my secrets, and I know my actions, and I know my failings. So how is it that Hannah can rejoice? How is it that we can rejoice at this just judge? Well, we can rejoice because God's justice and his judgment has already begun. We don't simply wait for it in the day that Jesus will return. It has begun in the cross. You see, we can rejoice because God has taken the judgment that we were deserving because of our sin, and he justly put it upon his son. 
He didn't turn a blind eye. He doesn't ignore our sin, but instead he took the judgment that we were deserving because of our sin, and Jesus willingly took it in his body. And he died. He took the justice of God on himself so that we would experience God's grace and his mercy, and that is why we can rejoice. That is why we can celebrate. That is why we can sing about the judgment of God. Because God has just and holy, and he has judged rightly. And in judging, he's brought grace and mercy. And so we rejoice in God's justice, and we rejoice in his salvation. But finally, Hannah's song teaches us to rejoice in God's king, to rejoice in his king. Look at verse 10. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now that should seem weird to us at first because in the time in which Hannah's writing, right, in the time of this, this narrative in redemptive history, there is no king. A king hasn't come, right? The, the Hannah's writing many years before a king would ever be uh, raised up. And so some have actually speculated that maybe this last part, this verse 10, is something that is in addition. It's, it's added by a later editor. But I actually think that we are to take this as original to Hannah's prayer. Because Hannah knew the promises of a king, right? Promises that extended all the way back to Abraham. And Hannah knew Deuteronomy 17, the instruction that God gave to his people for when there was a king. And, and you remember from last week, Hannah is living at the tail end of the judges when there was the expectation that a king would come and he would reign perfectly over his people. And so I think Hannah's looking forward. I think she's looking forward to a day when Israel will have a king. But not just any king. Do you notice what she calls him? The anointed. The anointed. Right? Exalt the, the horn of his anointed. Now, what's interesting about that word anointed is that this is the first time in the Bible that it is applied to a king. Every other time before this, or, or the majority of the times before this, it's being attributed to a priest or to the, the different things that a priest would use in the service of the Lord. But now she's applying it to a king, and, and so it can have this general meaning of just simply something that has been set apart for the Lord's service, but when it is applied to a king, and not just any king, but a specific king, it can have the sense of Messiah. You see, that's how that word can be translated, anointed. The Hebrew word there, it can be translated, Messiah. It can be applied to the one to whom all the promises would be one day be fulfilled. The one to whom the salvation and this justice and this king, the, the one to whom all these things were pointing, all these promises and all the reasons why Hannah was singing, they find their fulfillment in the anointed, in Jesus. And we know they find their fulfillment in Jesus because there's another song that comes. Thousands of years after Hannah's song, there's another song that comes that parallels Hannah's song. In Luke chapter 1, after Mary is heard that she will bear the, the Savior, 
she will bear Jesus. And after she visits Elizabeth, who is bearing John the Baptist, she also erupts into song. And she sings words that sound very similar to Hannah's. Listen to what she sings. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our father, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Do you hear the parallels? She sings of God's salvation. She sings of the mighty being brought down. She sings of those who are in need being lifted up. She sings because the promises and the very things that Hannah has been singing of, salvation and justice and the king, they have come. And they have come in Christ. See, Mary joins with the song of Hannah. And so too do we. You see, we rejoice with Hannah and with Mary and with all the saints who have come before us and all the saints who will come after us. We rejoice because God has brought his salvation and God has brought his justice and God has sent his king. And so let us rejoice. Let us do that now. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have sent your son. We praise you and sing praise to you because you have sent your salvation. Because in Christ, the poor are lifted up, the hungry are fed, and the barren are given children. We rejoice and celebrate that the bow of the mighty has been broken, and the King, our Lord Jesus, reigns. And so we pray that you would help us today and all of our days to rejoice, to rejoice and celebrate with Hannah and with Mary and with all those who follow you, that we would rejoice at the coming of our King. And it's in his name we pray and God's people said, Amen.